Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. Thank you for joining us for this episode 30, in which we will discuss the winner of our contest that we've had for the last couple of weeks. We will also talk about a little adventure I had with 12 volt outlets. An encounter at Standing Rock, which is probably not what you're thinking. A product review of a very inexpensive table solution for your van. And a place to visit in a hole in a prairie. Thank you everyone, welcome back, or welcome for the first time, or however you happen to be listening to me now, thank you for doing that. I do truly appreciate it. Well folks, we have a winner. We had a contest. I received a bunch of entries and I appreciate each and every single one of you who has entered. I promise that I will answer your emails immediately after this podcast. And I will also send each of you a Hook Waka Bang sticker. As a brief explanation of the Hook Waka Bang thing, Hook Waka Bang is not a name I gave the sticker. The symbol is basically, it's a question mark, a greater than symbol and an exclamation point. And I have friends in the comics industry, I'm sorry, the graphic novel industry, and they informed me that each of those letters has a name. So the question mark is a hook, and the greater than symbol is a waka from Pac-Man, which it supposedly resembles, and the sound Pac-Man makes, which is waka, 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 waka. And a, an exclamation point is a bang. I, hey, I'm not a comic guy, or I'm sorry, I'm not a graphic novel guy, but this is what I'm told. So the symbol is called Hook Waka Bang, and each of those of you who have entered will be receiving a sticker. A Euro decal, in fact, uh, made of reasonable quality vinyl that is suitable for placing on a vehicle and should survive for at least a few years. Anyway, thank you all. Now, let's get on to the winner. And it was hard to pick a winner. I received a lot of good entries and a lot of interesting stories and ideas. A woman by the name of Blossom Journey, who has a YouTube channel, had a great idea for making a simple table out of her bed. She basically has a board under her bed that she pulls out and puts on top of the bed, and it makes a table. It's a great, simple, perfect, no-build idea that I, I think is wonderful. But the winning story... And because it amused me and it was unexpected, goes to a gentleman by the name of Brian. A man who travels all over the Carolinas filming events. And he says, and I'm just going to read you his entry. When I'm on the road, I often sleep in the back of my RAV4 on an air mattress instead of booking a hotel because I'm a cheapskate. Winter 2019, I was filming the Fed Cup in Asheville. I was getting ready to sleep in my car at the Walmart when a woman in a decrepit-looking Honda Element pulled up next to me. When she opened the door to step out, a flurry of fast-food napkins and utensils came tumbling out of the car along with a chocolate chip pancake. Or it could have been blueberry. The pancake came flying out of the car in such a fashion that the only possible explanation was that it was previously wedged between the driver's chair and the door. The woman was in and out of Walmart quickly, but she left her pancake there and it greeted me when I woke up in the morning. I was back in Asheville a month later to film the SoCon tournament, and amazingly enough, the pancake was still there. I don't know how long it lasted after that, but I'd like to think that that pancake toughed it out all the way to spring. Hope this made you laugh. I think about this experience often, and I don't think it will happen to me ever again. 
Well, Brian, thank you very much for that story. And I have to say that if I ever am in a Walmart in Asheville, North Carolina, and I see a RAV4 park next to me, there just might be another pancake that happens. I might find a way to make that happen, just because the universe wants me to. Brian, the solar controller will be on its way to you this week. I hope you can find a good use for it. it if you wanted to put a solar panel on your RAV4, this is the perfect solar controller for that because it's, it's tiny. And you wouldn't even have to permanently attach it. It's uh, something, you know, you could just mount it to a board or something. But anyway, I will get that off to you. We will have other contests in the future. I have a number of items that I thought I would use for my van that I'm not going to use. And I will, uh, I will be offering them off periodically. So again, thank you everyone who participated. I just came back from a trip to North Dakota. I went to North Dakota because I didn't want to find any people. <laughs> uh, it's COVID times. Things are weird. And even though I enjoy visiting museums and, and all kinds of historic spots and things like that, I decided I was going to go to North Dakota to go to one specific spot, which I'll, I'll probably tell a story about later, and avoid all people. And I was mostly successful in doing this. And so, folks, I'm, I'm telling you this right now to let you know, just because we're in these weird times where there's disease lurking and you don't know what's safe, you can actually get out there and do things. There is plenty to see. And here's what I did and what made the trip successful. I picked a goal place. Every day there was one place that I had to go. One day it was this, well, it was a pyramid, actually. And another day it was a rock. And then another day it was actually a different rock. But I didn't give myself any time limits. I could get there in two hours. I could get there in 10 hours. It didn't matter. But the point of the trip wasn't to actually get to that spot. It was just to experience the area. It was to just be in a place like this that I had no reason to be in. That was the journey. And I'll be talking about that a bunch of times over the next coming weeks, I'm sure, as it gave me lots of fodder for talk. And in fact, two things in this episode come directly from the North Dakota trip. But let's get into the meat of the episode. Tech Talk. So I had planned to do a lot of cooking in my van on this trip. Uh, you know, remember, I'm going to North Dakota, so I'm trying to avoid people. So I didn't want to like go to restaurants and stuff. Although that is a that is a fun part of traveling, right? You, you go to a different place and you want to try some of the local food and go into some of the unusual restaurants and stuff. But I don't. I didn't want to see people. This was this was a non-people trip. So I decided I was going to bring all my own food and I was going to cook it with my 12 volt oven and my 12 volt kettle. And I had all kinds of recipes planned and stuff, but I also wanted to try some simple cooking. For example, what microwave food items can you cook in a 12 volt oven? So I actually had some pot pies and some burritos and chimichangas, or honestly, I don't know the difference. Don't tell anybody. And I thought, well, I'm going to start easy. I'm going to take a chimichanga. And this was my plan. I would take the frozen chimichanga and put it in the fridge, where it would defrost over time, but that defrosting was good because it would not only add its cooling to the refrigerator and keep things cold, it would also mean less cooking because I was cooking something that was simply cold and not frozen. So I thought this was a win-win. I wrapped it in tin foil because I didn't want to get stuff in my 12-volt oven, put it in the oven, plugged it in, and nothing. The light on the oven didn't come on. And I was like, well, that's weird. I checked it. You know, this was the rear outlet of my van. My van has two outlets that come with the van. That has nothing to do with my build. Made sure the key was on. The engine was running. It should have worked, and it didn't. I was like, well, 
The problem with a lot of these cooking devices is that they use a lot of current, and it's really easy to blow a fuse with them. So I thought, well, maybe I blew the fuse. So, All right, I plugged it into the front, and it worked. I was like, okay, I blew the fuse. I can change it later. It's no big deal. I placed the oven on the sticky mat that sits next to me. My, I have to back up here. My passenger seat folds over into a desk. It's a nice feature of an NV200. And I have this mat on there that I reviewed a few episodes ago. I believe it's called a tree frog mat. It's very sticky, and you can put things on it, and they stay there. So I put the oven on there. It works really well. And I felt it. It was getting warm. The little red light was on. And off I went. Excellent. All is well with the world. Now, I know that it takes a long time to cook things in this. Uh, you know, in a microwave, this takes two minutes. In my oven, it's probably going to take half an hour. But that's okay. I use it while I'm driving. So, half an hour in, I reach over, and it's not warm. In fact, it's, it's cold. I mean, it, it had heated up a little bit, but then it stopped, and I look, and the light's off. I'm like, well, what the heck's going on here? Did I blow the other fuse? So I find a place to pull over, it looks like I actually crawled underneath and opened the fuse holder and took out the fuses, and they were both good. And they were 20 amp fuses, which is a pretty hefty fuse. The oven itself is only a 10 amp oven. In fact, it has its own 10 amp fuse in it, which was also good. So what was the problem? Now you should know that what we're talking about here is a troubleshooting situation. You have these symptoms, and you're trying to figure out what is causing them. So there's a thing called Occam's razor. Occam was this guy, and he came up with this expression that said, the simplest explanation is almost always the correct one. And so the simplest explanation for what I was seeing here was that there was a short somewhere, and it was making my fuses pop. But the fuses were good. And I tested the fuses to make sure they were good with a multimeter. Multimeter is this little electronic gadget, costs about 20 bucks, and it'll tell you things like how much voltage you've got or if there is resistance or continuity. And that's the feature I use to test the fuses. You basically touch one end to one probe and the other end to the other probe. And if a zero shows up, that means they're connected to each other. If it doesn't say overload, which is the other option. They were both good. So then, I like, there goes Occam's razor. That was the most likely explanation, right? But here's the thing about Occam's razor. Every time you get new evidence, you can reapply Occam's razor. So it's not the fuses. I'm going to take that out of the equation. So what's the next step? Is there power getting to the fuses? So with the multimeter, again, I tested that. And yes, there was. Stop, reset, apply Occam's razor again. You've got power to the fuses. What happens after the fuse? Well, a power line runs to the socket. Is there power to that socket? So I tested that, and there was. Reset again. Apply Occam's razor again. Given everything I've just said, what is now the simplest solution? Well, it was... <laughs> I don't really understand this, but this is my diagnosis. The outlet had gone bad. Now, these electrical outlets, the, you know, this is, we used to call them cigarette lighter plugs, or actually they're technically called cigar lighter plugs, but we don't call them that anymore. We call them 12-volt power ports or 12-volt auxiliary ports because people don't light cigarettes with them anymore. They're not complex things. You basically have a hot wire that comes into the middle into like a little disc, and then the outsides of the thing are metal, and that's the ground. And the plug you put in, the sides touch 
and that provides your ground, and then the middle touches, and that provides your hot, and there you go. And then whatever you're heating up basically does its thing. That's all there is to it. Now, the ones that came with the Nissan are actually fairly fancy. They have a ceramic part and everything, and I took one apart completely and put it back together, and it still didn't work. I still don't understand what happened here, but I know that there is power right at the wires going to the outlet, but then the outlet doesn't work with any of my 12-volt devices. And so I did an experiment, and I did a, a hooking up of a different outlet I have in the back of the van, one that I just happened to have, and tried it with the same wires, and it worked. Given all that evidence, applying Occam's razor, the answer is the power outlets had both gone bad, which I cannot explain. I'm assuming that I'm somehow damaging them with my 12-volt cooking appliances, and I have to figure that out. But the reason I tell this story is that troubleshooting is, it's called a recursion loop. You want to keep applying Occam's razor every time. What is the simplest explanation? And then when you rule that explanation out, you start over. What is now the simplest explanation? And you keep going. And where you end up is maybe not where you start. Because if I had told myself, oh, the outlets have gone bad I never would have guessed that was the problem, ever. In a million years, all the times I've ever been working on cars and the dozens of cars I've owned, I've never had an outlet go bad. And then I had two go bad in the course of an hour in the same vehicle. But that's what the evidence shows, so that's what I believe. I'm actually, I, I ordered replacements, and I'm going to install them this week, and if they don't fix it, we might be having a continuation of this conversation. Troubleshooting methodology is very important and definitely something you're going to want to follow whenever you are engaging in van life because you are going to have things to fix and finding the simplest, quickest, fastest way to fix those things is going to be a very valuable skill. Tales from the road. I don't know why I say it that way, but I do. And I'm going to keep doing it because now it's kind of a signature thing. Okay. This story is going to start off a little confusing, but I promise it will be a coherent story by the end. One of the places I wanted to visit in North Dakota is called Standing Rock. And you may say, whoa, Standing Rock, that's where the protests were, and the pipeline, and the Standing Rock Reservation, and the Standing Rock Tribe, and none of that. No, none of that. None, none, none. Standing Rock apparently is the name for quite a few different unrelated things in North Dakota, which I don't understand. There is a standing rock, an actual rock, associated with the tribe and the reservation and the protests. And that is not the one I'm talking about. The one I'm talking about is in Nome, North Dakota. And it is literally, from what I understand, a rock on a hill. And, quote unquote, that was used for Native American religious purposes. Which is what historians and archaeologists always say when they have no idea what a rock is for. Anyway, I had the latitude and longitude, and I put it into, I was using Apple Maps at the time, because it's just the simplest to use if you have CarPlay, and it plotted me a route, and it said I had to walk a little bit at the end, but that was okay, it got me pretty close. I was like, great! Now, North Dakota is, is interesting, it's like the whole state's roads are in a giant grid pattern, and everything is very straight, so you just kind of follow the roads. You cannot get lost, it's really impossible. There are no winding roads. They're all straight. Well, it's not true, but try it. You'll see what I mean. 
So I'm following the GPS and I get to the point and it says take a left. I'm almost there. And on the left is a dirt road. It's fairly wide and it goes up the hill and I'm like, well, the rock's on a hill. This makes sense. Now, there weren't any signs that said Standing Rock was here or whatever. That made sense because what I'd read about it is that a lot of people don't know that this is there. Okay, that's fine. And I drive up the hill and I'm going maybe a quarter mile and then I get near the top and there's this old-fashioned gas station up there with like the glass pumps. And then there's another building on the other side. And then I see a few more buildings. And then I realize that the road ends and there's a house and there's a barking golden retriever. And I realized then that this was not the right road, or if it was, it shouldn't be because this apparently was someone's driveway and not a road. And I had made an error. Well, actually I had followed the GPS perfectly. I checked it. The GPS told me to go up that way. So I don't know the legal or political status of this road or driveway, but I was in the wrong place and I'm not interested in trespassing. So I didn't get out of the van. I carefully turned around to avoid the barking dog and then headed back down the hill. And I stopped right before the main road to reconsider where I was going. And I was loading up Google Maps so I could get a satellite view and try to figure out where I had gone wrong. And a Jeep skids up next to me, slams on its brakes, the wheels lock up, and this big cloud of dust comes up. And I look, and there is this older man with curly white hair glaring at me from his Jeep. And I'm like, oh... This must be the homeowner. Okay, I'll explain. So I roll down my window and I say, hey, do you know where Standing Rock is? And he says, what are you doing in my driveway? I was like, oh, I'm sorry. The GPS sent me up here because it thinks this is the way to Standing Rock. And it's clearly wrong. So yeah, but people have been stealing stuff from my driveway. Why are you here? And like, oh, I'm sorry that happened. But really, I'm not from here. I'm from Chicago, and you're from Chicago. Your license plates don't say you're from Chicago. And I thought, well, uh, they do. And I said, well, they sure do. And he walks out behind my van and looks, and he's not satisfied with that. And then he walks around the front of the van and looks and says, well, why are you here? And I said, well, I'm trying to get to this place called Standing Rock, and the GPS said it was, the GPS knows that this isn't Standing Rock. It knows that my driveway is not down the street. What does that mean? I, 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 what is, it, does, it knows my driveway is not down the street. And so at this point, I realize this person isn't going to be entirely reasonable. So I'm just going to keep it cool because I did drive up his driveway and I had no intention to. So I'm like, I explained the situation. I was like, so I'm just a tourist. I'm just trying to get to this spot. He says, look, I'm sorry, but I have to do this. And he gets out of the car again because he had gotten back in and removed a notebook and a piece of, and a pencil. And I was at first thinking he was removing something else because, you know, it's America. And he gets to the front of my van and writes down my license plate number. Now, at that point, I realized that my license plates have covers on them. The back one has a rear view camera and the front one has like a, it's this bumper thing. So I don't damage people's cars. If I accidentally bump into them when I'm parking, I do live in the city. And both of them obscure the Illinois part of the plate. But at the bottom, it says Land of Lincoln, and the plates are of an outline of the Chicago skyline. So, okay. And then he starts asking about my van. So, are you a contractor? And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm, this, this, I'm just a tourist. Like, well, this looks like a contractor's van. No, it's actually a camper. He said, this is a camper? Why do you have a reflective vest? And I tell him the truth. 
because I want people to think it's a contractor's van. And at that point, he rolls his eyes and starts walking back to his car. And I'm like, okay. But really, I want to know where Standing Rock is. So I say, hey, so have you never heard of the Standing Rock place? Do you, do you know where I can find it? It's just down the road. Take a left. And he gets in his Jeep and slams the door. And I'm like, okay, thank you. And off I drive. And so, you know, down the road and take a left. These are not great directions, but I go off down the main road and I see this little turnout to the left and I slow down there and I figure that's not it. So I keep going. And then what do you know? I see a sign that says standing rock with an arrow pointing up the hill. I wish I had come from the other way and I would have seen that earlier. So I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. I understand the guy's mad because I was in his driveway. It's fine. So I go up the hill, which <laughs> his driveway was a lot better of a road than this. Two ruts going up the hill with big, tall grass in between them. I could hear the grass rubbing against the bottom of the van all the way up. It actually uh, ripped out a little piece of my bumper on the way up, which is fine. But, you know, this was not a well-traveled road by any means. And I go all the way up the hill, and it's a pretty tall hill. It's the tallest hill in the area. And I get up there, and there's this tiny little parking area that you can barely fit one car in. And then there's this big monument, Standing Rock. And there's this whole thing about how Standing Rock was discovered by white men in 1838. And it's well known in the area for being a place of ritual and all this stuff. And it talked about what the rock was. And just beyond it was the actual rock. So I walked up to see the rock. And it is this kind of tall pyramid of black rock cemented into a bunch of other boulders. And that black rock does look unusual. It's not the kind of rock that you would find in the area. And reading the explanation, it makes sense. It was a piece of gneiss, which is spelled G-N-E-I-S-S, that apparently came from Ontario. And the theory is that glaciers carried it down, and then when the glaciers receded, they just plopped the rock down. They weren't really sure about whether glaciers dropped the rock on the hill or if someone carried it up there. I mean, it, it was big enough that you could have carried it if you wanted to. Not the most majestic thing in the world, but interesting in that it had been in the literature, as they say, since the 1830s. And it was a nice view up there, so I was not unsatisfied with my visit at all. And while I'm looking at the rock, I noticed that there's actually a road from the rock to this guy's driveway. I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's the GPS, what the GPS was thinking. I mean, I could literally have driven from the rock to this guy's driveway and then back down the hill. So it kind of explained it a little bit. It also made it a little odd that had I wanted to, I could have snuck back into his driveway this way, which of course I didn't want to. I had no interest in his driveway. So all done. I took my pictures and all that stuff, got back in the van, and headed slowly down the hill in low gear, which in a CVT vehicle doesn't mean a whole lot. And when I got down to the bottom of the hill and I was about to turn onto the main road, there he was again. He had followed me in his Jeep and he was parked across the street, glaring at me through his windshield again. I guess he wanted to see if I was actually going to go to Standing Rock. And then he waited to see if I was actually going to leave. I don't know what he thought I might be doing there. Ironically, if I had decided to go reinvade his driveway, he was in a position where he couldn't have seen me do it. <laughs> so for all he knows, I did go back to his driveway and steal something and put it back in the van and leave. So I pulled out into the main road, gave the guy a big smile and a wave, and went on my way. 
and I flipped on my rearview camera to make sure that he wasn't following me, and indeed, he wasn't. And so thus ends the tale, and while I'm sorry for invading this guy's privacy, it was not my plan. It was literally where the GPS went, and I think he's going to have a problem with other people doing the same thing. Oddly, throughout this entire thing, he never asked for my name or a business card or a phone number or anything, and I would have given it to him because I wasn't up to anything. So that was my encounter with somebody in North Dakota when I was trying to avoid people, and it was an amusing one, but uh, a little creepy, and all I can say is I'm glad he didn't come down the hill armed, because it might have been a much different story ending. Okay, product review. Uh, yes, it's another IKEA one, but this was <laughs> this was something I found at IKEA that I didn't even know they had that is actually pretty cool. I am going to so mess up the pronunciation of this. It's called a Floatbo, Flotabo, Flotibo, Flot, Flotabo. Generally, the names of places? They're typically places in Sweden. So that's what Flotabo is. Anyway, Flotabo is a system. It's, a, it's not a thing. It's a system of sectional sofas. And the part I am particularly interested in is the table. This is a small table on a swivel arm that attaches to the end of a sectional sofa. And it works in vans. I bought this thing not really sure how I was going to install it because the brackets on it are meant to fit specifically for this sectional sofa, which I do not have in my van. But I figured I could make it work, and I ended up making it work. I found a big block of wood that I could fit in between the brackets, and then I attached that block of wood to the side of the van, and it works. It is not the strongest table in the world, but for 30 bucks, I now have a table on a swivel arm that'll slide over and act like it's big enough for me to put my laptop on when I'm sitting on the bed. Or it will swing out the door and kind of act as a place to put drinks and stuff. You can buy better versions of this for your van, but they're gonna cost you a lot more than 30 bucks, so I definitely think this is looking into. It will require some creativity to attach it, but if you need a swivel arm bed for 30 bucks, this thing is pretty darn good. And even though it only holds like 30 pounds, you can use it, you could put a bigger piece of wood on there if you wanted to, to make it stronger. So that is the Flotabo from Ikea. I'll have a link in the show notes so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, a really quick resource recommendation here. A little bit of an unusual one. If you're gonna take a trip like I just took, you have a resource available that you might not even be aware of. And that is those brown and white signs on the side of the road. Sometimes they'll just be a picture of binoculars. Sometimes they'll say viewing area or historical marker. Stop for those. I guess maybe one of every thousand or 10,000 cars passing stops for those stop for them. There's something interesting there. This trip, I purposely stopped at every single one and I saw amazing things. I stopped at one and found a trail to this place in, I think it's called Tetra Woods or Tetra Woods and found this lovely floating, uh, kind of a floating wooden walkway through a marsh and, and got to just have this lovely moment in this pristine wilderness area. At another one, I stopped and it was a marker for an old Indian trail 
then talked of the story about how Indians used to move things for the U.S. government along this trail, and you could barely make out what the trail was. And behind the sign, I found a metal box, inside of which was a log of everybody else who had found the metal box, and then some doodads that people had put in, just kind of as a hello. And there was a picture of a couple in there with their dog. I'm guessing they're van folks. They looked like van folks. And it was just like saying, hey, we were here. Here's what we look like. And they stuck that in there. And it just was really touching to have that moment of connection. I mean, they'll never know that I saw it, but I saw it. So I put in my own little doodad, which was a folding paper Chinese fan that I just happened to have in the van and closed the box. And it was just a lovely moment. And it really set the mood for the day. It really put me in a mind for exploration. So those brown signs, in some states they're blue and white, it depends on where you are, are a resource. Don't be in such a hurry that you can't stop and see what's there. And yeah, sometimes it's going to be something you don't care about. Like, you know, in 1972, the high school won some football championship or something, which wouldn't interest me. But other times you're going to find these weird little cool bits of history that connect you to a place in a way that nothing else can. Definitely check it out. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 30. I think I talked a little bit too long on some of these things here, but hey, that's how the show goes. I, I have stuff queued up for next week because I didn't get to it all. Music is by Simon Wag, a.k.a. Sir Mouge, and thank you again to everyone who entered the contest. I promise there will be more in the future. Until then, remember what Kurt Vonnegut said. There's only one rule that I know of, babies. God damn it, you've got to be kind. <laughs>